Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars. In this year's series, we'll be taking a deep dive into the things we love about this game and why we love them. On the fourth day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me my favorite official book or books used to plan or for inspiration. We haven't really decided how many books we're going to talk about. We're just going to be our favorites. That's how we roll. Um, so this is either going to be a very, very long episode or a very, very short one. Listeners, place your bets. <laughs> Thank you. With send, me tonight. Send the winnings to Samuel Dillon. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I will not be making a book for this one. Uh, with me tonight is, in fact, Sam Dillon. How are you, Hello. Sam? I am well, and I hope all of our listeners are well. That is good to hear. Yeah. So, how, how are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing just fine. I have uh, a, a fine glass of Di Serrano in front of me, and all is right in the world. Excellent. I have a very wonderful glass of Taylor's Scottish breakfast tea. Nice. Yes. It's not just for breakfast, you know. I should hope not. Otherwise, your schedule is really messed up. Mate. Really messed up. <laughs> anyway, what do you, so, what do you have to say for yourself, sir? What is what is your so? Um, we're not going to split this by edition. We're just going to freeform this and talk about books. That what's sounds your, good. What's your first choice? So, uh, my my first choice, uh, the first thing that comes to mind for official content. I mean. <sighs> It is hard, hard not to go back to the DMGR one. Tell you what, um, yeah. yeah, the campaign source book and catacomb guide, and we covered it in detail, and that book really stood up. Um, also, listeners will recall how impressed we were with complete book of necromancers. Mm-hmm. That one had a lot to offer. Didn't the um, villain? The villain guide was pretty good too. The villain guide was strong. Yeah, was stronger than I remembered. Yeah, those um, those three were my, on my list. Those yeah. three are on my list as official books that are good enough even to use now, even though they were published in the early 90s. Yeah, and while there are some stats in some of them, it's fine. Yeah, they're, they're I mean, not mostly stats books. Yeah, it's it's not really stats books. It, um, the stats in them are for examples and not yeah. for like here's a thing right it's yeah. it's just an ex- example way to use the material um so i definitely want to want to give some good attention to tasha's cauldron of everything i've gotten really good mileage really good mileage out of the um the supernatural regions and hazards in the the dm's sections of that book um because i've been sort of converting those d100 tables into um progressive skill challenges um okay and basically you you you're you're, instead of rolling a d100 for a single effect um you're making progress through the effects on the table until you get to 100 plus you know 100 or, or greater and you complete the thing but you can right. set your success point wherever it could be anywhere, you know, in that range. Um, and so, you know, it, you're improving your score, your, your total accumulated progress. Um, maybe, you know, 
D8 plus five or D10, D10 plus two or whatever the situation feels like it calls for at a mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. PCs can spend more stuff to make more progress. And there's often a fight going on at the same time, whatever. Um, <laughs> right. But it's a really nice way to have something that's like a layer effect that has about even odds of being good or bad for the PCs. Um, and it keeps things changing and it gives them something to throw resources at pretty, pretty directly. So I've used that approach a whole bunch of times now and it's gone pretty well. Uh, it's got, I'd say it's gone really pretty well. I've been satisfied with it. Um, I even used it as the, uh, as the core of a uh, mass combat system. Uh, nice. Uh, several weeks ago and was very pleased with how it turned out. It's really hard to do mass combat in tabletop in a way that people like, but I got really strong feedback off of it. Um, players really liked it. So I'm going to see if I can move forward with that. In awesome. Some future yeah, that's, that's an accomplishment right there. I felt good. Um, and the other uh, fifth edition book, I, I really have to call out is uh, Fizzbun's Treasury of Dragons. Um, that that book is just crammed with uh, creative energy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know ideas from the small to the cosmic. Um, good treasure mechanics, uh, really nice spells, um, new dragons with new stories that I really like. Um, just a lot of great stuff going on in that book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. isn't one specific adventure, but it's just you know sort of a lens for a whole campaign. Yeah, um, yeah. I may have talked about this in the show before, but one of these days, what I want to do is a uh, a West Marches game with as its fundamental premise. Um, uh, Strixhaven colliding with Fizzbun's Treasury of Dragons at top speed. Okay. There, there is a big coalition of dragons who are opposed by Strixhaven, maybe at opposite ends of the West Marches region that the players are exploring. And good luck. <laughs> right. Right. Um, no one here is great. No one here is all the way bad. Just good luck. Um, so give us some of yours, Sam. Very cool. I've been so, talking a bit. Yeah. So mine, I, I I have a similar, you know, love for those DMG reference books, those DMGR mm-hmm. blue cover books. Um, they were on my list, as I said. Of course, the first one. Lovely, lovely book even now. Yeah, there's a few dated pieces, and we mentioned those last year. But, you know, for, for, the, for the cost of admission, it's, it's hard to find a better deal with better advice that is uh, timely even today, 20 years, 30 years later, you know. Um, also, the Book of Villains and the Book of Necromancers. Um, and and if you're like a, a weapons geek, like the Arms and Equipment Guide, you know, it's one of the better Arms and Equipment Guide versions um you know they they tend to do some sort of arms book 
for second edition, third edition, fourth yep. edition, you know, and and that one, that second edition blue covered book is still stands up as, you know, similar to the castle book, like that whole series. I'm just going to put that series as one book. <laughs> right. And it's it's uh, it's really good. Um, but moving on from that, of course, um, the fifth edition DMG. Right. I know it's a book that uh, that. C- commonly is joked about as you know that's the one that no one reads sure um, but uh but it but as, as you and i learned or knew and and tried to present to our audience um through the series that we did where we looked at each chapter um it is just uh packed with information and packed with fun tables and packed with you know different ways to think about or flop things through your mind and and let let things settle down um, and, and it's just, it's just a great resource. Um, along with the fifth edition DMG, of course, the fourth edition DMG, which we also covered, um, specifically the fourth edition DMG too, is, is still indispensable in, for things like terrain effects and, uh, and, and different kinds of interesting traps and tricks, yep. uh, that you can, you can, with a tiny bit of modification, move right into your fifth edition game, um, yep. The first edition DMG, of course, is a formative book in my role-playing experience, so I, of course, have to mention it, although it's not as much of a main reference for me nowadays, but it's still, you know, if I just want a quick look up, you know, a list of gems and what their approximate values are, or just a a list of, um, you know, animal parts or, or different reagents that I could use to make potions and just, you know, quick you know, open it. There's the table. Okay. I'm just picking one or two and there it is. Um, it's indispensable for that. And, um, and still to this day, I, I open it at least once every two weeks. Wow. That's um, a, that, that's a yeah. strong, uh, strong statement there. Yeah. Very I mean, nice. I mean, uh, and you know, uh, the second edition book, high level campaigns uh-huh. also is one that I, it's one of those books where I, will take it off the shelf and just open it to a page and look at what's on that page, flip yep. two or three pages maybe and see what's on there just to sort of spark, you know, put me in a moment of, you know, and, and the f- first edition DMG is similar. If I just open it to a random page, it puts me in a moment of think about if this was in your game. Yeah. And a lot of times, right, that doesn't even, because we're talking about inspiration too. So it's not even about what great content is in that book, but it's what does it make you think of, right? And so it's not even that I want to open that book and get a complete like adventure from it, right? Yeah. In that one page. That's not the, what I'm doing. What I'm doing is, okay, I'm stuck for an idea or I think I kind of know, but I just need something to push off of, right? Yep. And I open the book and it's got, you know, whatever in it. And yeah, it's, it's sort of an Oracle moment. Right. And, and I might just think to myself, Oh no, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not that I can't, you know, that's not my style or, Oh, that's wouldn't fit right now. But what it does is it makes my brain go, Oh yeah, that's not what I want. So now I'm closer to figuring out what I do want. Yep, right. Exactly. And sometimes your brain, my brain at least just needs that trigger of here's a, here's an interesting thing to, to, to tumble through for two seconds, even and then now I can focus better because I've already washed through some of the stuff that was getting stuck and now I can move on. And sometimes that's better inspiration than, than anything else that I can do. Um, yeah. Um, 
All right. So I'm going to say that uh, I haven't gone to them recently, mm-hmm. but um, the the plane above and the plane below mm-hmm. from fourth edition mm-hmm. yep. are yep. really very impressive books. Yeah. Um, it, it might be the case you need these more during the world building stage right. uh, than you do during session prep. Uh, because you're making cosmological decisions if you're really drawing heavily on these. Mm-hmm. But I do think that they're, they're strong text with a lot of energy that um, has a lot to, to offer, right? right? And when I wrote my 4E mega thread of stuff that hadn't made it into 5th edition yet, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> these books saw a lot of play. Yeah, um, Just really good stuff to offer and uh, it goes without saying that i agree with your mention of um the fourth edition dmg and dmg2 and uh, also high level campaigns those are those are great books Mm -hmm. for um just tossing an idea at you at an angle you haven't worked with in a while and just like you say kind of popping something loose i think that's a a good way to put it and uh, definitely feel that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, to some extent, the fifth edition DMG does that for me too, but um, it's a lot more dense than the other books that I mentioned. Um, It's not more dense than the first edition DMG, Sam. Well, no, no, but, uh, (laughs) but, well, but here's the difference in the first edition DMG. It's so, (laughs) this is going to sound like a total knock, but uh, it's so disorganized that I could turn, to a page and i don't necessarily know what's going to be on that page whereas if i turn to a a chapter in the fifth edition i know what that you know oh chapter five okay chapter seven okay um and what when i say dense what i mean is it it, the font is smaller the the uh, other than the not compared to the first edition but the other those other dmgs that i mentioned right fourth edition dmg has nice big font nice colorful layout right but there's just not as many words on the page and so uh, there's not as much densely packed information in there. And so the fifth edition is sometimes harder for me to really like look at and get into just at a glance sure. and just use it because it's so like, okay, I got to drill down. And what is this actually saying? Whereas the fourth edition and those uh, DMGR books and the high level campaign, it's not as uh, the layout is just so different. And the, the back of the page is wider. So, you know what I, I actually, one of my complaints about fifth edition is the stupid parchment color background, right? Sure. Which I think looks great aesthetically from, from the perspective of, Hey, we want to make a nice looking book, but um, it's harder for me to read. <laughs> well, right? and uh, I'm going to mention this because third edition was not so much your thing, mm-hmm. but they went so much harder on that in third edition yeah. with um, like fine lines like essentially underlining the text um, that was just part of their mm-hmm. page aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that from the, it was doing at least no from, the, yeah, from the P from the PHB, it had like, it was supposed to look like almost uh paint, like paint, like notebook paper. Right. With the lines. Yeah. That drove yeah. me crazy too. Yeah. I, I did not enjoy or appreciate that. I understood the aesthetic they were going for and I, I appreciated that they they nailed a look, right? Sure. 
Um, but it's uh, the older I get, the harder it is to read stuff like that. It's just it's just so tough. That's right. Um, but yeah, but anyway, this isn't supposed to be a knocking session. I'm not, and I'm not saying that to knock on anything. It's just choices were made, and and they worked to some greater or lesser extent depending on what was going on. But for that reason, it makes the fifth edition DMG not as easy to flop open as high level campaigns or the fourth edition DMG too. Yep. Um, or those DMGR books. The the first edition DMG, yeah, that's also hard to flop open because the yeah. font is so tiny and it's disorganized. Right. Um, I still do it, but oh, sure. <laughs> but, but it's harder. Um, while we were running Birthright, uh, any of the the Birthright uh, books had just so much potential for us. Mm-hmm. Just open to any page of something like um, Blood Enemies, Abominations yeah. of Cerulea, or mm-hmm. Book of Magecraft, Book of Priestcraft, uh, all, Book of Regency. All of those were just great for. You know, having some one little thing that you'd find a way to incorporate, you might have to flip around a bit if you need something that is more region specific. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we would occasionally run into uh, something that was canonical that matched just line by line with something we thought we had made up on our own. Yeah. Did I tell you this story? No. Yeah, this happened really specifically. Um, So we had gone through this whole storyline of the PCs receiving a uh, like timeveral shackle, a blood silver shackle, at this dinner party they went to because they had conquered the city. They were invited to dinner party by the the wealthy people of the city, and you know we had this this story in mind of the shackle used to like hold in this one uh, incorporeal Onshalian um, uh, who was the wraith, right? Because okay. that's how Onshalian okay. do. They they mm-hmm. have you know the definite article and then a creature name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we didn't really give the PCs the whole story on it at the time. We are waiting to see how they followed up on it and they got distracted with other stuff because we were throwing way tons of stuff at them. But so fine. just for the audience um, who didn't play maybe birthright, the reason there's a definite article is because it is the one it, it's sort of like, uh, Oh, there sh- could be, it could be lesser ones in the setting. This is the super one. This is the right. right but th- this is like the daddy of the daddies, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's sort of like Shelob, right? Yep. If you think about Shelob's lair, Shelob wasn't just a big spider. Right. And, but, you know, if you did a quick read or you weren't really paying attention or you don't really know the lore, you might just think, oh, well, that's just a big spider that was a, you know, it, it was really powerful and old and big, but, it, and it was scary, but it wasn't. No, no. <laughs> and if you think she loves a problem, what do you hear about Ungolian? Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, right? Like that, yeah, that's yeah. the kind of thing, right? Like for, if you could think about it as she is the spider, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And the, yes, there are other spiders in the setting, and yes, there might be giant spiders or spider swarms or or dangerous spiders, of course. Yep. But she is the spider, right? And, and that's how birthright, that's how it works in birthright. And in birthright, there is an Onchalian who is the spider, mm-hmm. it, actually a like half goblin drider, like mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. upper body of a goblin right. drider, but still goes by the spider, and right. that it's actually one of the 
one of my favorite ones because it's you know comparatively low level and within mm-hmm. reach for, right. for players yeah. and I really like that they could interact very early on in the campaign exactly yeah. right um anyway uh, all those books are just very evocative once you're you know enmeshed in birthright anyway mm-hmm. and that's really the most important thing for setting books right right um, yep Mm-hmm. You know, I'm staring at my whole row of Eberron books, um, which are great. Um, I I honestly find the rest of the Eberron line to do a better job of telling me what Eberron is about <laughs> and how to really engage with Eberron than the core mm-hmm. book does. Uh, the The core book kind of gets so tied up in just laying stuff out that some of the and now the adventure mm-hmm. step goes missing. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Common problem in settings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I'm if I'm really stuck and want something just off the wall and gonzo, there is only one text to go to for me, and that is the third edition epic level handbook. <laughs> I've never run anything yeah. of this book. Yeah. I I never will certainly not in a mechanical sense just it's the one where the doors got to be totally blown off everything was big and weird and mythic yeah. they just did whatever just did whatever and you know it's not balanced it, it's the, the balance is an absolute disaster of course it is it's practically what you're there for right you know um but I love that they have Hecaton Kairis. I think that's great. Um, the hundred-handed ones of mm-hmm. of Greek mythology. It's just wonderful. Um, you know, I'm sad that they created the city of Union rather than just putting Sigil in third edition. But okay, fine, whatever. Fine. Um, <laughs> but now that Union exists, mm-hmm. what I want to do is run a campaign where all of the different um, like extra planar uh, super powerful cities are in some kind of conflict or coalition or whatever. So you've got like Dis and the city of brass and Sigil and the radiant Citadel mm-hmm. and so on. Right. And, and union all in conflict with each other or in coalition against some, outside force or whatever, that would just be tons and tons of fun to me. Um, also, Tunarath. I love Tunarath. Um, City mm-hmm, of the Githyanki. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing a Githyanki, and so really thinking about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, in terms of that, in terms of that sort of thing, like uh, what you're bringing to mind for me is uh, books like um, uh, Lords of Madness, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Elder so, Evils so and Lead Those are ones Mortis, I want to right? get, but I don't have. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know that when I get my hands on one of those, I'm going to mm-hmm. absolutely love it. Just no doubt. No yeah. Doubt. They're, they're very rich with lore, those three books. They're very, yeah. um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, granted, they're third edition books. So they do also have a lot of uh, technical, mechanical bits in them, right? Lots of creature stats and all that. But, 
the stories that they set up and the the way that they do those in the book is just really really nice it's very um it, it's it's what uh the I don't know if you remember that in fourth edition, they came out with a book very early on about the undead open, open grave. And it really wanted to be the Libris Mortis of fourth edition. Um, and it, it was striving for that a lot. And it, it introduced some of the it sort of particular things about undead in fourth edition that, that had been, you know, changed to match that edition or whatever yeah um and and it works very similarly but not quite as much because uh it was so early in the edition that people didn't mm -hmm. really know like oh what's this you know what is this how is this going to help me whereas by the time books like uh libris mortis and lords of madness and elder evils came out you were later 3.5 and everybody knew exactly what they could do with those books yep. and they were so well done <laughs> mm -hmm. you know that it, yeah those are three great three great books yeah, yeah. libris mortis I, I have and i've uh, taken stuff from for years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. skin kites most of all <laughs> players <laughs> should probably before yeah. i stopped using skin kites actually <laughs> yeah so, um, so uh, anything else, anything else stand out that we have forgotten, haven't mentioned? Um, let me see. Let me ask you this. I probably should have asked this first. What's the criteria for you for being a book that you consistently go back to for planning and inspiration? Well, so it's really hard for any book from first edition to get on this list at all. Mm -hmm because I wasn't where the book was at the time I encountered right. it, mm -hmm. right? I I wasn't there. I, right. I, I was in a second ed or third ed or fourth ed headspace mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and set of expectations when I first encountered the book. Um, and, and, you know, in the case of the Wilderness Survival Guide, a fifth ed headspace. I mm hadn't -hmm. read that before fifth ed. Right. Um, and that just does all kinds of things that it's hard to counteract in shaping your whole outlook on a book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just how it is. Right. Um, yeah. Part of the human condition, right? Yeah. You, you meet a book in the headspace that you're at when you're looking at that book. Yep. And, you know, conversely, if you already have some background with a book, but you come back to it, after you know, years more personal context, mm -hmm. it's a whole new book and that's great. Right. Right. Like I don't, I'm not really brought back to second edition for the most part when I look at something like um, my level campaigns. Right. Right. I'm, I'm seeing it with the eyes of to some extent, second and third and fourth, but you know, mainly fifth. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's, I don't know. Uh, it's like tumbling a stone to polish it. Right. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, I've got all of these, you know, memories and experiences, and uh, I'm now fitting all of those to that book. And I don't know why it's harder with a book that I was never current for, but it is. Mm hmm. Just as mm -hmm. um, 
one of the the few uh, books that is still kind of from before my time, and an edition I haven't really played, but I get a lot from is the Rule Cyclopedia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because some of the ideas in there are so weird. <laughs> um, like there's some cultural stuff that is implied about paladins and Avengers mm-hmm. that like on one level, if you're expecting a, a sort of baseline D and D does not make any sense. <laughs> None. It is so weird. Mm-hmm. Like you can seriously, like if you're an Avenger, you can just go crash in the bad guy's couch. It's fine. <laughs> They'll put you up. It's fine. Uh-huh. Like what? <laughs> What what is that? What's going on in this whole idea of a mechanic? But like, there's a lot of ways you can start to interpret that with things like okay, so I guess like chaotic people have this kind of shadow society of living in I don't know sewers and uh, you know abandoned places and such and um. If you are the kind of person who's committed themselves to to that and to that life, then you can call upon them, even if you know meeting them some other time and place, you might be enemies. But there's some law of hospitality that applies there. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you use it to gather information and have a social encounter with someone that otherwise you'd fight, really interesting. Um, but you know, a lot of that interest comes from the fact that um, the perspective where th- the rule cyclopedia um, ideas of law neutrality and chaos make sense are really out there. Mm-hmm. They aren't sensible. That's not the thing. They're they're riffing on Moorcock and like taking that idea out of Moorcock makes it really, really nonsense. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, and, and that's kind of okay. Yeah. Well, I uh, mean, it was, it was okay in our games. Like right. yeah, yeah. as, as players, we, cause I, I did play that edition. Yeah. Several, several basic editions actually. But the thing is like, it was just, it was just an understood part of the game at the time. Right. Yeah. You know, I was young. I wasn't analyzing what it really means to pull that out of Moorcock's work and put it into the D and D. You know what I mean? Like it, that wasn't part of it. It was just, Oh, it makes sense. Okay. It's this, you know, here's this paragraph that tells us, Oh, what does it mean if you're law versus chaos? Right. Okay. I get it. Let's go. Let's play. <laughs> right. Um, and so it had, you know, and, and of course, over time, it per- it has permutations, right? And different playing with different DMs and whatnot. Of course, it changes slightly and then growing and changing yourself, it changes slightly and all that. But like it doesn't, yeah, it, it doesn't feel so weird to me, right? Just because I was sure. there playing it yeah, at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, like I don't come into D&D and encounter its alignment system until second. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by second, the alignment system has been two axis for a long, long time. Right. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And so 
stepping back to nope, it's just law, neutrality, and chaos is kind of huh? Right. Um so oh another book that so uh, so as our listeners know, I also do a lot of freelance game design mm-hmm. and a, a lot of like blogging of ideas. And so I'll very often pick up a book that I don't have a ton of connection to and just see if it sparks anything for game design, which is very different mindset than session prep. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. right. So I want to point to the third edition book, weapons of legacy for this mm-hmm. uh, items that level up with you, not a new idea. Right. This is just a third ed- implementation, right? The actual mechanical implementation. No, I hate it. <laughs> I just can't stand it at all. I don't want the weapon to be your class. I think that's a mess. Right. Um, but uh, the specific items that are in there, their their concepts are allowed to go so much more, so much bigger and more setting defining than uh, non artifact items mm-hmm. in most D anD. d that I really like that. That has a lot of appeal. There's a lot of like, okay, we have to give this item a lot of chances to add on more stuff and get bigger and better because progressing the magic item is your main deal. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to do that? Well, that's pretty interesting, actually. Right, right. Um, I picked up Book of Vile Darkness really hoping that it would have a lot of... uh, ideas mm-hmm. that I could I could steal and remix and do stuff with and it had some but third, third edition or fourth the, edition the third edition, mm-hmm. third edition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uh, left me a lot colder than I was hoping yeah did you um, also get exalted deeds just as a I, I didn't um, I, I, this is something I picked up from a friend who was mm. uh, dumping some collection mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so uh you know these have a beggars and choosers right? <laughs> um, right the one of the ideas that i liked most in there is just the idea that there's a particular set of uh rings of protection that belong to the um the baylors that serve graza mm-hmm. and so that sparked the idea for me of what if one of them went missing and now, like it just turns up in PC hands, and there's both a chase to figure out, a, a chase to stay away from the other Baylors who want that ring, because they could become part of Glazit's inner circle if they have that ring. While at the same time, the mystery of how did the ring get to where we found it? Is the Baylor mm-hmm. that lost it still alive? Or what? Like what? What's the chain of custody there? It could be a really great mystery to work on, especially if you're also on the run. So that that struck me as being really interesting. Um, I haven't gone anywhere with that idea, but you know, whenever I say something like that, there's mm-hmm. always a silent yet at the end. <laughs> of course, right? That's how all of our sentence sentences end. <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah. Do you want to do you want to wrap this up? You sure. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts? Um, do you have Do you have anything that's burning in your brain and that you didn't really? So, so the one last one that I would 
feel weird not to mention. Um, it, I think we also called it out last episode um, was uh, Aurora's whole realms catalog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it is this in play text, it's the Sears robot catalog of, right. you know, Faerun and that implies so many strange things about the culture that the players should encounter that aren't really all that well supported in the rest of forgotten realms. <laughs> like the, the shipping network that must be available is just completely different <laughs> from yeah. what's otherwise implied. But the book is a delight of, you know, sort of weird day in the life slice. I, I, I think that's great. Um, and, you know, I don't know that I've taken a lot of ideas from it, you know, in practical terms in yeah. a game, but yeah. I, I think the book is so much fun. The that- thing that's great about it is that it is in universe, right? It's not exactly, there's not a whole ton of anachronistic things in it. Like there's a similar book that was written for basic D and D. Yep. Um, the book of wondrous items or something like that. I try to put it out of my mind because it is so absolutely horrendous. Oh, um, that book is a whole mess. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has a like, copy of that. It has a boom box in it yep. and it has like a, a vending machine and it, and yep. it's just, it's meant, it's literally meant as a joke. Yep. Um, but it, it's written with real, you know, basic D and D stats. Yep. And, 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 and it has some artwork that's, really not great it's just not good whereas aurora's whole realms catalog is actually also kind of a joke because it is the sears roba catalog right that all of us you know longingly looked through in the in the (laughs) 80s late 70s and early 80s to um to to order whatever we wanted but none of us could really afford but um uh, you know, it's it sort of it. It is that it, it is that thing, and so it's kind of a play on that, and it's kind of a joke. Except the stuff in it is actually really interesting magic items. I meant mundane. I said magical. I was thinking mundane. Yes. So, like, you get like this idea of oh, this is really like the salesman goes around and says, hey, you know, do you want to buy these things in this catalog? I can have them shipped here, and. It do, it's it doesn't really make a lot of sense in terms of logistics in in the in setting, but just the idea of hey here's all this stuff and it's just interesting stuff and you can think about oh in a fantasy world somebody would have a use for that okay, and yep. and that's that's really interesting in a way. Um, so it ha- it does have that sort of weird inspiration thing going on uh, that some other books don't have, especially very jokey books. Right. Really don't pull it off very well. Right. It stays just serious enough to start sparking things rather mm-hmm. than sort of getting you to shut down. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a fine line, right? It absolutely is. Yeah. It, it's it's sort of like if you if you write a book if you're writing for a, a sort of joke RPG like Tune or Paranoia, where it's meant to be funny. But there's this weird fine line between you cannot write funniness into the game because right. everybody's sense of humor is slightly different. And 
And it's hard to write something that hits more than once, right? Right. And so it's really hard to take an RPG book and write write something that's going to hit even once, and much less more than once. And so there's that line that gets crossed of, oh, this is not only just not very funny, it's bad, right? Yep. Um, now, I will say um, I've had a really good time with Paranoia in the past. Um, oh, yeah. No, I'm not I knocking those RPGs. I'm just saying like it's a it's there's a very oh, yeah. fine line between writing it so that it's fun enough that the players at the table can riff on the things that are happening and make the jokes come alive. And it's funny. Right. And and they're doing that versus if you actually write a joke, it's like somebody reading a knock, knock joke to you. Right. Oh, like that's so, not funny. <laughs> so, so the thing that really elevated this one paranoia session I was in. Uh, so my lovely wife rabbit was playing this game and no one really explained um uh, the three modes uh straight classic and zap okay to her uh whoops <laughs> and so uh <laughs> so, so it's amazing right she plays the whole thing this whole ridiculous thing uh just in deadly earnest okay she is so trying- she's playing a game of straight paranoia and it- was everybody else playing zap Everyone else is playing Zap, yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> like because she was getting our mission accomplished, we she just kind of succeeded. <laughs> Didn't die very much. Like the rest of us blew each other to hell mm, several sure. times. Yeah, went through several clones. Yeah, right. And it, you know, she wasn't on her first clone right. anymore by the end of the game, but <laughs> she did escape from Alpha Complex. <laughs> and it's like nice. you're not supposed to be able to do that at all. That's yeah, yeah. Do. You're sp- you're not supposed to succeed that. <laughs> uh, but it was it was great fun and uh, absolutely hilarious. Uh, just a like a, a good example of how. Uh, that kind of comedy uh, needs a straight man, mm-hmm. right? Right. That, yeah. That's how the jokes work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. she was perfect for it. So yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. That was a good time. And, but the thing is that that's so hard to, to write. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And, and I'm not even saying that the book necessarily taught that. Right. I am saying that it created the conditions for it to be possible sure. in the first mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's why paranoia is still in print today. Right. Yep. Um, yep. Because it, it does that very well. And the tropes that are in that particular game are carried over so well or dropped as, as necessary yep. that it, it works. Um, you know, and it's similar with gamma world, right? Like I, I, I'm, I'm a real big gamma world fan, but you can play gamma world very straight or very funny yep. too. Right. Yep. And the best is when you play it as if it's your all the players are playing straight, but the GM puts them in a situation that is sure. so ridiculous. But they're playing straight because it's re- that's just, and that's where the comedy comes from. It's not because right. it's written into the module or it's written into the game that right. I mean, it's of course an option, but it's that it's that combination. It's it's the magic of RPGs, right? That combination of what the GM is doing, what's in the setting, what the established sort of 
rules are for that group in terms of behavior and then what the players are doing all comes together to just form this ball of gold and it's 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 not easy right i mean like that's it's the magic of rpgs but it's not because they wrote a joke in the book you know yep all right well it sounds like that's going to uh wrap it up for us for this the fourth day of edition wars 2022 so uh it's definitely been a great tour back through a bunch of my favorite uh, official books um some of which we've covered in uh previous years and some of which we might yet cover in the great mysterious future um, well and that's that's now our audience learns why we cover those books right because for sure they are so useful to us, even even now. Our audience also learns why uh, some of those books are on my uh, Christmas wish list, even though the additions <laughs> they go to uh, are, are not something I expect to uh, <laughs> right. run or play again in, mm-hmm. in this incarnation. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Notice that n- neither one of us at any point in time said, "Oh well, I use that all the time because I'm still running that game." Right. Right. Um, I am currently playing a fourth edition game. Mm-hmm. And so fourth edition content is sometimes of active use to me, but yeah. um, the I play, GM I, does things differently enough that it's only sometimes. Right. And I, and I play castles and crusades. So I use a lot of first edition stuff. Sure. Um, and I still occasionally run a basic uh, one shot here and there, but that's not why I use those books as inspiration. It's not just when I'm doing that. Right. Anyway. So uh, where can our listeners find you, Sam? Ah, you can find me on Twitter um, and, uh, and of course, on RPG Musings and, of course, on the Tome Show Discord and, of course, on the Tome Show's podcast everywhere. How about you, sir? Well, uh, I also, and, and still at least for the time being, on the bird site. Uh, I am at Brandis Stoddard. Uh, I am also on the elephant site. Uh, at brandisstoddard.dicecamp. Oh, sorry, at brandisstoddard at dice.camp. Get that right. Um, Mastodons everywhere are cringing at being compared to elephants or referred to as elephants. <laughs> yeah, because social media known for its accuracy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I also write for tribality.com um, and my personal website is brandastoddard.com you can also support my writing at patreon Uh, my patreon is brandastoddard awesome well we hope you are all having a wonderful holiday season and that you're enjoying this series thanks folks 